Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast, where this week I am joined by Amy Hedrick, CEO at Cleanbox Technology. Amy, um, how have you been? Welcome to the show. Thank you, James. It's great to see you. I've been excellent, um, which is a good thing to be able to say this year. Um, so things are going great. I'm in Nashville today. It's a beautiful day mm -hmm. um, and it's nice to be here with you. Fantastic. Well, look, I, I think yeah, things are looking up, uh, as we were saying just a minute ago, uh, you know, London has opened up. Uh, there's a lot of people out and about wearing masks, but it just it almost feels strange um, to an extent. Um, but look, coming on to you guys at Cleanbox, um, you know, you and I were connected through a, a, a mutual connection, Scott Stout. Um, I hadn't come across you guys previously, had no idea what you did. Um, but Cleanbox, um, I guess it kind of summarizes it in a name, but tell us a little bit about yourself and, 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 and the business Cleanbox. Sure. Well, um, uh, Cleanbox is a premium UVC hygiene company. And, and basically we focus on cleaning devices, um, mm -hmm. any kind of um, electronics, shared devices, frequently used devices, our, our target markets are our businesses. So we're B2B company, um, but we have products that solve a number of different pain points, um, hygiene pain points, mm -hmm. uh, also logistics and operational pain points as well. Um, we started in the immersive technology space. So all of our, um, you know, so we have a lot of clients that use um, virtual and augmented reality uh, in their training programs. And we provide um, quick uh, one minute um, hospital level of hygiene um, yeah. in our UVC uh, engineering. And so we've taken that and taken the same engineering and applied it across multiple product lines that meet uh, various business pain points. So. Wow. We've, we've, we've been growing as a company. We were here before COVID and tested on other types of contagions. We have tested our products against um, SARS-CoV-2 or mm -hmm. COVID-19. Um, and um, we continue to expand and, and meet uh, business needs when it comes to risk mitigation and safety. Okay, wow. So the, the, the VR side of things, just talk to me about that. What I guess, look, it's always an interesting thing with VR and the amount of technology that is now out. What sort of VR products are we talking about? I mean, I'm just thinking back to my 10 year old self and computer games and, and things like this, but I'm guessing it's not just that. Um, yeah. Give us an overview. Sure, you're absolutely right. Well, you, uh, I think like most people, most people are familiar with the VR industry and VR and air industry because of gaming. Mm. Um, entertainment, I think is, is the perfect uh, gateway, if you will, to a lot of the applications that these immersive technologies um, are really good at. Um, so we got into it. And when I say we, I, I mean, myself and my co-founder, David Georgeson, who's our, our chief technology officer, mm -hmm. um, we got into it because of a background in content creation and storytelling and looking at taking immersive technology and maximizing its use for large populations. Um, so for example, we started in a large museum in Washington, DC that gets about 30 million visitors every year. And we were thinking about taking some of the content that they own mm -hmm. and how to tell it better in different types of story environments. So taking immersive media, immersive technology, from VR and AR to touchscreen, and share some of their stories um, with um, the 30 million people that walk through their facilities every year. Yeah. Now, we looked at VR and AR because those are, those are immersive. It's a different way of telling a story than looking at, you know, reading a card or looking at a plaque, and, and, then, and it's a way of remembering um, this data that's shared with you, and it's also much more um, 
how should I say this? A lot of, you know, well, if you, I, you look, uh, I don't know if you have children or not, but I would imagine that at least, you know, the children know they're really, really good at uh, electronics. They know how to break your password at, at baby's baby stage. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. My son, Axel, he is, I mean, shouldn't admit this on air with screen time, but sometimes he is terrible, you know, and, and the amount of views that some of these things get, it just shows that that is, it's the way that the future is, is going and, and there's going to be a lot more of it, whether we like it or not. You and to that exact point, the use of immersive technology, if you, <clears throat> excuse me, if you start on the entertainment side, one second, <clears throat> apologies. <clears throat> so to your point, the exact same point, the use of immersive technology is kind of the way of education and knowledge lear uh, learning and knowledge um, uh, collection by children. And mm. if you look at, at the way kids are learning now, um, the reason that they're so engaged in this is because it's immersive, because it does actually engage them in a very, very different way, visually, yes, but also when you put on a VR AR headset, a headset, you are in a new world. A VR yeah. headset puts you in a full 360 new world and you learn differently because you are immersed in that. So you have body learning, you have different types of, of, of education, self-education, if you will, than mm -hmm. just say reading something or listening to somebody talk about a subject matter. So to the VR point, um, a lot of companies are using this immersive technology to solve other types of business challenges, mm -hmm. um, not just, of course, entertainment. Um, for example, we work extensively in healthcare uh, with healthcare organizations that use virtual or augmented reality for either their, their patients, um, sometimes mm -hmm. for pain mitigation programs or, or to help reduce the amount of opioids they might have to be given after a, a surgical procedure. Sometimes it's the opposite side where the physicians themselves are using it for training or surgery preparation. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes uh, in, in uh, brain surgery, for example, mm -hmm. um, some of our clients use uh, these technologies to examine a, uh, a brain scan ahead of an operation and make sure that what they're, uh, the surgery procedure that they're planning is actually optimal for the need of that particular patient. So these are life transforming technologies. Wow. Um, and applications um, within that XR space. So we, going back to Cleanbox and how we started, we did start in that space because we saw the potential of immersive technology for transforming industries, mm -hmm. education to media, to healthcare, to, to uh, manufacturing, um, remote expertise, and so on. So we started in that space solving a pain point of risk mitigation. When mm -hmm. you wear uh, something on your face that touches, is in constant contact with your skin, um, your, your hair, your eyes, nose, and mouth, which are common contagion transfer points, um, it is important that you have thought through the logistics and the safety Definitely. component of that tech. Probably now more, more than ever. So in terms of clean box i mean how how does it look I've, I've been on your website but to explain to those you know watching in listening in how, what how does the product how do you deliver that to, to your clients how does it how does it look well we have multiple products um three different product lines um so all of our products use uvc light ultraviolet light of the c wavelength okay so it's very different than uva or uvb which is sunlight say yeah I'm, I'm thinking sunlight so it's 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 different to that. How, how, do, how does it differ? 
So that's a that's a great question. So it's on um, the it's ultraviolet, right? So they're all UVA, B, and C are all ultraviolet wavelengths. But mm -hmm. C is a different uh, a nanometer range of wavelength, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it is something that is actually filtered out by the Earth's atmosphere. So the C wavelength of UV light doesn't reach us. Um, because of that, um, well, multiple types of UV light have have antimicrobial properties, but because of the fact that UVC doesn't reach the Earth's atmosphere, contagions don't have a built-up resistance to it. Mm. How it works is uh, under proper exposure, and there is not all UVC is equal or not all use of UVC is equal, um, but under proper exposure, um, it will disrupt the DNA and RNA strands of contagions, and that means that they cannot replicate. Just so, I think a minute ago you said, I say a minute ago, you, you said it cleans in a minute, I think you said, if, if I'm correct, if I pick that out. So does this UVC light clean these devices, whether it's goggles or whatever it is, in, in, a, in a minute's time? Or is, it, you know, is that for a certain size of thing? Does it vary? Uh, um, yeah, so, so part of our engineering was... Uh, wanting to keep the shortest amount of time for a cycle time mm -hmm. um, because you're because of the the types of industries that we have been working in they either have large uh, throughput or high volume um, either way time is one of the pain points that we have to solve how can mm -hmm. you do this effectively in the shortest amount of time but have consistent um, human error free results so that yeah. has been our target for engineering so in 60 seconds based on our uvc led engineering um, we are able to reach log five or greater of killing contagions mm -hmm. and how we determine that we take the, the same engineering we do real life um, laboratory testing in independent laboratories where they'll take a contagion such as MRSA or H1N1 um, and put it, um, so, well, there are multiple types of testing that we do, but mm. basically the validation is where in the product that that particular um, device is placed and yeah. we determine for you, right? Because we, we've already designed the product such where it will fit in a device in certain ways. Um, and then over the length of one minute now, sometimes, um, and, and, and let me explain what, what, uh, what that reaches. And in one minute, you can reach 99.999% decontamination, which is, which is fairly significant. Um, mm -hmm. um, that is, that tends to be, um, uh, meet most, well, 99.999% protocols yeah. of industries that we work within. Um, and, and it does it safely and effectively. Right. So I guess talking about meeting protocols and, and labs, look, you, uh, I mean, you're aware that we're uh, actually a recruitment business. We work in the world of, of clinical trials. So I'm thinking that this would be great for, you know, any of the CROs and pharma companies that, that we uh, operate with. And, um, you know, is in terms of the efficacy rate, again, another word that is very prominent at the moment with, you know, COVID out there. Does, does the clean box, does it also kill COVID? I believe you said that a, a second ago as well. So it kills kills COVID inside a minute. So people using it in, in research labs would kind of have that safety net or, you know, that reassurance that anything that they're doing, they could not wipe clean, but completely erase by putting it using the clean box. 
Yes, I mean, and that is that's been our goal. Is that what you're what what you're talking about is is increasing safety for the people using it, uh, risk mitigation, um, reducing risk reduction. So yes, we do. You can do that. It is a one minute cycle. Um, so if, for example, put your VR headset in there, or if depending on which product, you're, which clean box product you're talking about, mm. it could be your N95 mask. Um, if it's uh, you know, or it could be your your cell phone or your remote controls or you know your safety glasses. Um, um, uh, you know, your, your lanyards, if you're, you know, going back and forth, but, you know, in between patients, for example, um, yeah. so whatever that device is that you need to have, uh, you need to safely use uh, and safely reuse and or have somebody else share that uh, or also touch it. That is what we can provide for you as a business. Wow. So kind of no need for all of the antiseptic wipes and everything else that has been marketed like crazy over the last year or so well let, let, let's talk about different types of, of of decontamination right so an antiseptic wipe or an alcohol wipe that is or a bleach wipe for example hmm. you might want to use that on your kitchen counter right because um it's not most likely going to damage whatever that material is um, but you also have to leave that surface wet for up to two minutes at least in order to reach that same level of decontamination. Now, could you, are you killing some germs? Yes. Could, are you killing 99.999%? No. Um, are you even reaching close to that? Um, most likely not. And, and it's not because alcohol in and of itself isn't effective. It's the use case, right? It's how it's used. Are you leaving that surface wet for two minutes? Is the application of that alcohol um, even across the entire surface? And is that product going to be damaged by using something that has liquid-based, chemical-based, or heat-based? Mm. So these are problems that we wanted to avoid with our products. So we can do that. And at the same time, because the light is consistent, we use grids that have a, a range of light. So there's an mm. overlap in light. Um, yeah. We know yeah. so what we're providing is consistent and it takes out that er that element of human error that we just referred to in, in the previous examples. Wow, that is pretty impressive. I, I could do with one of these at home sometimes. My, my partner yeah. is a, a clean freak and antiseptics, everything. So uh, that would be amazing. Um, and how, how well, you know how to find me. <laughs> yes, I certainly do. And how long does it does it last for? In terms of so you know when you do the, uh, the wipes, you know I, I guess you never know if you're um, getting everything. But how how long do it do you need like with a wipe or a a cream that you put on? Often it's a case of reapply, reapply. How long does it does it uh, does it last for with the clean box? Well, the good news is about is is because we keep it at a one minute cycle. If you want to use it a hundred times in a day, you can. Mm. Um, you know, if you're, for example, you're passing, let's just say, you know, a pair of safety glasses from one mm. person to the next person, and one person puts it on, they use it, then they need to transfer that to another person. Then in one minute cycle, you already know that whatever could have been on there from the eyes, nose, mouth, coughing, sneezing, touching from the previous person has been completely eradicated. And mm. the next person can just put it on safely as soon as it's gone through that cycle. So if that's that's more your question, um, then I, I hope that answered your question. Um, in terms of the length of the product, the life of the products, um, we use um, lights that are tested for 10,000 hours of continual use. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a very long time when it, with a one minute cycle, depending on yeah. what your use case is, of course. Um, just like, you know, any products, you know, the more you use it, 
the more you use it. Um, um, and um, but in terms of our products, they're built to be very, very durable. Um, we've designed them specifically to be user friendly so that you don't uh, anybody can use it. And in fact, it's safe for even, um, you know, I don't think children are normally using this in the workplace. But for example, my niece and nephew um, could certainly know how to use it and they know how to, you know, if they're done playing with their Legos, I, I often find times have found Legos in there. I'm like, what, what were you Amazing. doing? Oh, well, we needed to clean them. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, we have safety features built in. So you close the door. If someone opens it, the light stops working. So yeah. there are lots of ways that we've tried to think ahead. What problem could we solve? Um, what problem, what things would people be worried about? And how can we reassure them that what we're providing for them is actually um, solving a problem so they don't have to worry about it anymore? Sure. No, look, sound, sounds amazing. I guess probably one last question on the, the product itself, because um, I'm thinking you, you V, and, uh, you know, when you first mentioned that, I was thinking sun cream protection, you know, sure. burnt sure. skin, etc. Is there any impact on the, the products that go in the box? Because, you know, if I, I know for a fact that in my house, anywhere the sun comes through, sometimes, you know, the floor has even changed color over a long time. But is there any of that with persistent use? Sure, that's a fantastic question. So there are two ways to answer that. First, I wanna remind of the distinction between UVA and B and UVC. So mm -hmm. UVA, uh, that comes, you know, that's basically the sun, right? So if you go out in the sun, you're gonna get a suntan or a sunburn, depending. Yeah. Also, if you have, like you mentioned, your floor or plastic, um, mm. fabrics can fade, plastics can, can brittle and fade yeah. um, with those UV, UV wavelengths. UVC, if you recall, is different. And mm. the reason that the impact is different is, is there, are, there are many ways to answer this, but a couple simple ways. Um, it's a short wavelength of light. So the impact, uh, it, it follows the um, inverse square law of light, right? So the further away from the light source that you go, um, exponentially decreases the impact that that light has. Mm -hmm. uh, so there, there's, there's one way to look at that. You're not going to have your blinds, your, your floor and your, your you know, fabrics naturally exposed to UVC light. You're yeah. just not, because in order for you to have that access, it, it has to be artificially recreated. Mm. Uh, and that is how UVC light exists. Now that's, that's one answer. Um, the, the second answer is of course, dosage. How, how um, what is the intensity of the light and how long are you exposing your products to light? Um, I can say that for, for clean box units, we have tested with a number of um, hardware manufacturers um, ourselves and also had them do their own testing yeah. on both plas plastics, um, glass sensitive lenses, like camera, camera type of lenses um, and simulating over a year of continual uh, uninterrupted exposure. Wow. And they've reported back um, no, um, uh, significant impact, um, even with continual exposure. So in other words, you know, they're simulating a non-real world experience. It's safe to say that your products yes. are safe, right? <laughs> Long way of answering that question. But if I just said, no, no, it's safe, then you would have had a lot more questions. So I hope that helped to fill in some of the, those other gaps. Some of those gaps. Yeah, no, look, definitely. I mean, I understood all of the science about the light and everything, but it's just good to clarify for our, our listeners as well. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, so look, um, Look, fascinating products. Uh, it sounds incredible. As I say, I, I, I think that at times I could use one at home because it would save me a lot of anxiety and certainly my partner a lot of anxiety about having to scrub things, clean things, etc. Um, 
but look, let's just go back um, for a little bit. When, you know, how did you get into this? What's your background? You mentioned storytelling. When did you actually um, found the business? How did, how did that come about? So if you, if you recall, going back to the um, educational institution um, that, that I talked about, um, really at, at the time, about six years ago or seven years ago, I was writing for a think tank um, mm -hmm. about uh, changes in technology and how they were going to be uh, influencing consumer behavior. I went yeah. to a lot of different types of events and really saw the impact of immersive technology, see the potential, almost like the... the um, the, the capability was starting to live up to the promise, uh, or at least I could see that it could in the next, in the near future, if next yeah. five to 10 years from that time. Um, and so because of my relationship with this institution in DC, um, it made a lot of sense to me to think of these technologies in ways that could be, could have really practical and valuable application, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, if you have, uh, you know, 100, and I think they have 156 million objects in their possession, um, they can only physically display 1% of it at any given time. So where Cleanbox came into play was me thinking about this content and how we could share it with the world in an immersive way that mm -hmm. could be shared both locally and remotely. Um, and with, with a better retention of that information. Yeah. Um, when you think about mass volume of people, you think about all of the risks that a large organization has to think about, plan for, and prevent. That is where Cleanbox came into play. Um, so I can tell you that we started our design and patent process maybe seven years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, you know, really spent time looking, making sure, um, going through the R&D process, making sure the engineering was correct and it was doing what we knew it could do. And, and, and we wanted to reach levels higher than what we started with. Yeah. Um, and then looking at the market opportunities as well and solving those problems. Um, so it, it really was birthed out of, other entrepreneurial ideas meeting a need that nobody else seemed to be meeting yeah so do, i mean do you remember the day that were you um sort of both together yourself and, and and your cto uh when you decided you know this is an idea you know when did the, the plans start to get drawn up i mean was it was it at your house were you you know at, at a workplace how where, whereabouts did that come from well, really being in DC, thinking about um, all of the problems that would need to be solved. This was one of them, um, one that was very, very important, of course. Um, and really from that seed idea, taking that out and saying, okay, let's let's build this out. Um, and through the course of that, seeing the business opportunity um, in and of itself, separate from anything else. Who did who did you have to approach first? Because, look, you know, there's loads of people out there that have these almost crazy ideas or what seems crazy at the time and I think every one of us has seen perhaps an idea out there and thought oh I thought of that but never done anything about it um so where you you had the idea you had you know the target market what was what was the next or, or the first step into to entrepreneurship and, and and you know did you necessarily see yourself as an entrepreneur at that time because I don't think any of us do until you kind of think actually I'm going to make a go at this and, and something switches, doesn't it? You know, just talk me through that process for yourself and, and the first couple of steps of, of setting up. Sure. Well, I think being an entrepreneur, um, I, I tend to not put titles on things, but in terms of the entrepreneurial spirit, um, you know, I have 
I have started things before on a much smaller scale. So this wasn't really a first, necessarily a first time. Mm. Uh, it was at this level, certainly. And I would say that the biggest, um, the biggest question to when it started was, I knew how much work would have to go into it to make it work. And I was very hesitant to say, okay, I really thought through, do I really want to put this much work into starting a company that I will not be a garage company. It will certainly grow well beyond that. And, yeah. and I had to uh, evaluate that and make a decision that said, uh, that acknowledged the amount of work that was going to go into it. That being said, every, uh, every good idea is also a crazy foolish idea <laughs> um, at the time. And uh, sometimes you don't necessarily know how to make it work. I think yeah. that is, that is part of being an entrepreneur is um, you don't have to have a full base of what well, you probably will not. If you're starting something new, you, you will have to draw from the knowledge that you already have. You will tap, have to tap into other people's expertise because if you're solving a problem that is a new that hasn't been solved before in this particular way, you are kind of breaking new ground in a lot of ways, yeah. um, and you got to be okay with that. And um, and you have to you know learn from other people along the way. Most definitely. Well, so, I'm, I'm sure it was a lot of work. I know you know even starting my business, it was myself and my partner. We started in our our spare room from from home, um, yeah. and it was. You know, unlike yourself, we didn't realize how much work it was going to be. I, I had been the top performer at my old company, you know, out of hundreds of, of people and just thought, oh, look, no problem. I'll pick up some clients. I'll start billing some money. And six months later, I was thinking, oh, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. But, you know, it's, you know, one of those things, you know, I, I'd advise anyone, you know, at times, there would, you know, you perhaps will feel like quitting, but just don't persist with it, I, I guess. Um, I, I would say that I, I knew it was going to be hard, mm. but it's always harder than you think. Um, and then you have to, uh, certainly there, are, there have been many challenges I could not have anticipated, mm. um, but there have also been many rewards too. And so I think you have to jump into it, realizing that, you know, you take the good, the bad, the everything, um, but you have a goal in mind, you have a place that where you're going to get to, mm -hmm. um, you have to have a vision for it and you have to have, I say, tenacity. Yeah. Um, you have to also realize that nobody is going to believe in your idea as much as you do. Nobody ever will. And right. if you expect other people to, you're going to be disappointed. Um, so if you're self-sustaining in that way, uh, you, you can make it. No, definitely. Fantastic advice on that. And yeah, something that I can, um, yeah, a hundred percent back you on that. Um, but look, uh, I guess clearly it, it sounds like things have, have gone well since, uh, day one, but talking about the, the struggles, um, do you remember um, perhaps the, the toughest day? Was there any point where you just thought, oh, you know, what have I got myself in for? I knew it was going to be hard, but was there any, any point where you were close to breaking point or, you know, talk, was there a, a toughest day that you can remember? <laughs> well, the I remember the wine came out <laughs> or, you know, whatever it was, you just went to watch movies for, for the day or, or something like that, where, yeah, it's just kind of, you weren't feeling it. You're making an assumption there was only one day like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think that the biggest challenges, of course, have been solving problems that are brand new. Mm. Um, you know, when it comes down to the business um, and any business, I, I truly believe this of any business, it's about the people. Uh, it's about the people that you work with, the people you uh, are, that are collectively part of the company, part of the organization. Yeah. That is also really the hardest, that's the hardest part of the puzzle. 
mm-hmm. uh, to be honest. And sometimes you have to accept that sometimes you have the right people and sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, as a startup, sometimes you, you, you bring people on and you bring talent on and you have to acknowledge internally that um, some people might be right to take you to the next step, but they might not be able, they not, might not be with you the whole journey. Mm-hmm. And I would say that is one of the hardest parts about running a business, um, especially a young and fast growing business like ours is, um, is, is recognizing that and, and um, knowing, you know, when, uh, when you've got to grow. Um, and, you know, those are, those are just day-to-day challenges. Of course, every entrepreneur is going to have to raise money. You're also going to have to validate your market. Um, you're going to have to see how long you can stay agile, which mm-hmm. can be challenging for a company like ours. And you have to anticipate where the market, where you think the market's going to be, um, not tomorrow, but two years out so that you can do, you can prepare today for what you, where you want to be. Sure. So look, I guess look, on that front of bringing in the right people look, as a recruiter, it's, you know, something that I'm always preaching to any of our clients and, and myself included that the strength of any business is built on the strength of its people. Um, so it started off yourself and your, your CTO. How many of the, um, you are there now? How, how is business looking now and how has COVID impacted you guys? Because I would imagine probably quite positively. Um, but yeah, if you can share a bit about that. Well, we did start as a two-person team um, and David was in his garage playing around with ideas while I was out on the road um, talking to investors, talking to clients, talking to businesses. Mm. And um, that can that's a little bit more, more fun in retrospect than I think it probably was uh, at the time. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, where we are now, we have, um, we have a strong internal team. Um, we moved our headquarters to Nashville, Tennessee in January. Um, if you hear sirens in the background, usually that's just because they follow me around. Uh, I, I always have sirens in the background of any time of, of recording, um, usually because I'm in New York. But um, so we have um, we have a team here. Um, we have our manufacturing is still done in California mm-hmm. um, currently. Um, we have sales reps around the world. Um, we are building a second uh, facility. Because this is one of the other things that I, I found fascinating that around the world it, it literally is all over right what what countries are you guys operating in now well we've sold into over 40 countries um and we're still completely a, a u.s uh, company in terms of like our product is all made here and shipped from the u.s although yeah. we are expanding our our fulfillment um uh opportunities into europe uh later this year mm-hmm. um but currently we have reps in um the uk in dubai spain australia Wow. Canada, the U.S., um, and so yeah, so so we have um, people now. Now we are, you know, we're building out, and a lot of uh, where we are today has been a response to demand. Must keep um, you busy, Amy, because I know as a business we operate. Uh, I guess uh, on the pharmaceutical side of things, it's just in the, in the U.S. Uh, but you know, historically we've been in the engineering and construction uh, game, and a lot of our clients are Australia, uh, Southeast sure. Asia, and it's. You know, sometimes I'll be up in the morning at four o'clock to speak to someone in Korea and then in the evening speak to someone in, you know, on the, on the West Coast, kind of 10 o'clock in the evening for myself here in London. So it must kind of be sometimes difficult trying to juggle that, right? 
it's, it could be, it certainly could be a challenge. It absolutely can be, you know, and, and again, um, not just to clarify, we have specific vertical focuses um, as a business in terms of our business strategy, but in terms of demand of our product lines, it's come from everywhere else. And a lot of the growth that we've experienced, um, especially, you know, pre-COVID was very grassroots um, and very organic. Um, now, of course, that's shifted um, as you would expect with any growing company, yeah. um, but there continues to be, you know, strong, uh, you know, bottom up, top down, a, a good combination of that mm. in our growth right now. So yes, it's certainly challenging, um, but um, I, I think that's also where, where the reward is right sure. now. And, and what has this taught you about you, yourself? Because I guess when you grow, you know, some people have been used to management previously. I mean, had, were you previously managing a group of people? How have you adapted personally? What challenges have you faced in terms of ab as you've grown in, in headcount, moved office, taken on uh, international uh, employees? How, what has that taught you about yourself? How have, how have you managed with that? Hmm. Well, I would say, um, yes, I have managed groups before, but um, I would hope that I have become a better leader. Um, I certainly have, you know, as we've grown, um, all sorts of different personalities, different needs, different strategies, just different roles within the company. Mm -hmm. um, I, I try to learn from the people around me. I try to surround myself with people who are smarter than I am. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's really, you know, in terms of hiring and especially the work that we're doing now in Nashville and hiring people here, I look for people who will, who can do something that I know that I cannot. Um, yeah. I, I have to, as an entrepreneur, especially with a startup, you have to wear multiple hats. Mm. You also have to know which hats, uh, you know, when you're trying to delegate, you have to understand that the skill set of the person that you, you're thinking that you should pass the work off to. Mm. Um, some of the biggest mistakes I could say in retrospect, whether it's this company or others, um, is just knowing that I need people. So taking the help that is offered. Um, if it's not a, the right fit, it won't actually be useful for the company. And yeah. sometimes those are really hard things to learn and hard decisions to make to not do. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that as we've grown, um, those have been some of the struggles, some of the challenges, some of the learning opportunities I'd prefer to see them as. Mm -hmm. um, because I think today we're a better company. Um, even with our internal team, um, we're very, you know, supportive of each other. Um, so we've worked very hard to foster a very good company culture. Um, and I, you know, and when I hear back from, from team members on their reviews, I hear that back. That, that to me um, is very rewarding. Um, yeah. So I like to continue to do that. Definitely. Well, I think you've got the right mentality there. I guess, you know, sometimes as entrepreneurs, when you start and it's so small and it's just you, there is that tendency to want to do everything and to want to be involved uh, with everything. And it's, sometimes it's tough letting go because it's almost it's your baby isn't it and you you want to be involved but sometimes you just have to drop the perfectionist side of you a little bit and realize that done is better than perfect um because that way you you're getting a lot more done uh is how i see it yeah you you make a very valid point and i think uh, again you're required to wear all those hats when you are just a one or two person team mm. clearly you're going to have to you're going to have to learn how to do things or or do things that you don't necessarily want to do um but they have to get done um mm. For me, I look for people again, like that are that are more qualified. Let's say uh, I love the way you present. I love that I can ask you for answers um, that I know you have that I don't. To me, then that's a person that I can feel comfortable handing stuff off to. 
Yeah. Because um, ultimately, um, you know, you you can, um, you know, you're, you you can only focus on so many things effectively at any given time. Mm-hmm. And in order for the company to grow in a healthy way and to the business to be healthy, um, you have to be able to make those handoffs. Um, but it has to be to the right person. Definitely, 100%. 100%. And look, I guess in terms of your day-to-day role now, uh, I'm sure that it has changed exponentially since day one. Um, You know, what is your main role um, in the business? It sounds like originally you were kind of the sales, the marketing, the the, the face of the company going out to, you know, secure investments, et cetera. Is that still, you know, your primary job or are you you know, coordinating everyone else from, um, from the back. How, how does your day-to-day um, life look now? What's the best part about it? You know, what's, you know, what do you uh, dread at times? Because sometimes there's still those things that we have to cover as, as um, sort of running, running a business, I guess. Well, I still think um, the there are still things that um, I, I keep my fingers in a few different things, um, mm-hmm. simply because uh, I think that's important. Uh, like you said, I'm the face of the company. So for better or worse, um, that is that is and that will remain my role. Yeah. Um, that also means that I'm you know, I can I cannot do my job as a CEO. Um, and make business decisions, especially for the long term, without actually understanding everything that's going on on the backside. So I do stay involved and up to speed on what's happening in manufacturing. I also stay um, heavily involved in looking at future products or products that are in development or technology that is in development. So that is an integral part of my daily, um, you know, my daily education, if you will, because I need to take that information and make sure it's lining up with our business strategies and then take those business strategies and make sure they're lining up with, um, you know, how I, how I relate to investors and even how we relate to the general public. Mm. Um, We're a B2B company now, but we plan to have a consumer product um, that we will introduce to market. That is a a whole um, different set of strategy, right? right, I, I think for me to continue to, to do my job well and to improve on it. Um, I, you know, keeping involved, keeping appraised of what's going on around me, um, keeping my, my finger on the pulse uh, is really, really critical. Um, and again, comes back to the people. Um, mm. we, we continue to hire more people, not just because we're growing and not just so that I can, you know, pass off some hats, but because, but because we need to, I need to be able to, to rely on different people to bring me different data to make smarter decisions. Definitely. Well, look, so, so every day is different. <laughs> you kind of covered like my next question. There. I was going to ask you about you know moving forward and what's the plans for you guys next. But it sounds as though yeah, B two B at the moment. But you are looking to kind of expand on that so that you know everyday individuals can can get these things on a, a home based kit. Will it be? Is is that the plan? What sort of what sort of timescales are you looking at for for that side of things? Well, in terms of releasing product, um, we hope to have a consumer product that we can release at the end of 2021. Wow. Um, we do have a number of, of other business, um, you know, uh, businesses that are that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of that I, I, I can't quite disclose yet, um, but it is exciting and it does require um, a lot of, uh, well, like I said, every day is, is different. Mm. And I think that's the reward there. Um, I, I like, um, I like structure and I like, uh, things, uh, to be planned out and very organized. 
But at the same time, I also thrive off of the excitement of learning new things every day, um, trying new things. Um, and I think that that's important for a company. It keeps us agile as well. You know, if I can go out there and say, hey, this is a trend that I'm seeing, or I anticipate this could be a need, or here's a need that wasn't even vocalized as a need, but I, I see it as a need, then I can come back to the internal team and say, hey, there's, there's an opportunity here. I know we have the capability to meet it. Maybe we need to look at this in a different way. Um, <clears throat> based on our core competencies, based on our core technology that the public knows about and, and, and other technology that we're developing. So um, that's excitement for me on a daily say, basis. All sounds very exciting. So yeah, lots to come from you guys by the sounds of things. Um, well, it's, it's been amazing hearing about sort of the story, how you guys came about, what, you know, how you've grown um, and your, your, your personal take on, on leadership and how to manage the, the right people, putting the right people in, in positions that it's quite refreshing. Um, so outside of, of Cleanbox, it sounds like that probably must engulf 90% of your time as it does for, for most entrepreneurs. Um, you mentioned that um, in Nashville, things you know are kind of almost bordering on normal or pre-COVID normal. You know, what are you looking forward to as, as the year progresses outside of, of work? What do you get up to to actually relax and take a break from all of this? <laughs> well, that's that's a really good question. Um, and I would have to say um, the good thing and the bad thing about COVID is that, um, I, you know, previous to COVID, I traveled all the time for work. Mm. Um, I did make an effort. I do have a rule um, when I'm on a plane. Um, especially on European flights uh, from the US or, or South, South uh, Africa flights or, or whatever the case might be. If it's a long flight, I don't work. And that's my rule. This is my downtime. Nobody can reach out to me. I don't go on Wi-Fi. I don't check my email. I don't work on documents. Mm. I might read a book. I might watch a movie. I might sleep. I might have a glass of wine, whatever the case might be. But that is my time. And I try not to break that rule. I, I break it only on a really good exception. <laughs> um, so that is one way that I try to balance the demands of not being able to really say, okay, well, I'm just going to work these hours. I just can't do that currently. Um, but I do try to make effort. Um, and when I'm feeling like there's a lot going on, I'll take a day and I'll say, you know what, I'm going to focus on art. You know, I, I, I am a musician. I love to, I love music. I love, I have my whole painting and other type of um, tactile uh, artwork that I like to do. Um, for my own pleasure. And I think that that's really um, something that keeps me happy. Now, there are a million things that I love to do, including travel and cinema and, you know, adventure uh, experiences and so on. And uh, hopefully, as I bring more people on board, I'll have a bit more time to do some of that. Yeah, I guess it's look, it's always good to take a, a break. I, I often find it hard myself. You know, I've been on vacation, I'm checking emails and, and things because you can't, it, you find it hard to put down because one, you probably, you know, if you're anything like me, you enjoy doing it. But sometimes it is just good to have that disconnect where phones are off, computers are off, and you're just like, okay, let the office get on, get on with it, and and just actually relax. Um, it's very healthy to do that, and I have to say, it's not, it's something that I have to work hard at, um, having that work-life balance. Um, I have to be reminded sometimes that, that this is healthy and important, but the flip side of that um, and, a, and a perspective that I've adopted and I work on um, is that being, a, being better, happier in life, more balanced life really does lead to, lead to more productive results, um, whether that's in the workplace or in your own you know, personal uh, agendas. Um, if you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're overwhelmingly stressed, 
um, you will make poor decisions because of all those things. If you can take a break and give yourself enough space to recover emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, whatever the case might be, then I think um, sometimes those little breaks are actually more important than we realize. Now I'm preaching this to myself because I'm the last, I, I, you know, I'm the hardest sell here. You know, you know what, <laughs> Amy, I'm, I'm, I'm exactly the same. And one of, one of my own personal goals is to just improve work-life balance. You know, it's, it's great. You set up your own business because that's exactly what you want, but then you end up getting drawn more into work because work becomes life. And um, so look, I, I get it 100%, uh, but look, it's been fantastic having you on the show, hearing about your story, hearing about your work mentality. Um, and look, I, I guess for anyone who is looking to reach out to yourself um, to hear more about the product, whether it's investors, uh, you know, any of our clients that perhaps would be interested uh, in using this for their labs, et cetera, how, how is it best to, to reach you guys? Uh, well, you can come to our website. It's cleanboxtech.com. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Amy Hedrick. Uh, no N, no uh, D, <laughs> no D with an X. No. Um, so Hedrick, um, and um, please re do reach out. Um, we're happy to answer any questions. Um, if you you know are looking for somebody in your part of the world, chances are we'll have somebody for you. Um, so, um, but it's been my pleasure chatting with you and the time went by very, very quickly. You had some, some great questions and made me think, uh, think a lot. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, Amy, thanks very much for coming on the show. Pleasure. All right. Nice to talk, talk to you. Cheers. Cheers.